But having the ability to coach them, the ability to have visibility in their calls means that you can actually put them in front of customers much sooner than you otherwise would. Cutting down the RAM phase is the other thing that people look at in terms of how do they see ROI. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Shruti Kapoor, who is the founder and CEO of Wingman. Shruti, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nick. Great to be here. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, thank you for coming on so late. I know you're in Dubai, uh, completely on the other side of the world for me. So uh, thank you absolutely for taking the time to do this. Yes, exactly. 12 hours now with the daylight savings. Yep, exactly. For those listeners who may not know, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us what uh, what Wingman is. Sure. So most recently, I started Wingman four years back. It's a sales technology platform that aims to analyze every sales interaction and make sure that we don't just give insights from those interactions, but give real-time coaching and feedback to the salespeople. So you don't just get data, but you get actions that you can take to make better you know, decisions on your deals. And before that, I've spent a decade in finance and business development, uh, started out my career in investment banking right at the time of the financial crisis. And time right now seems to be a little bit as apocalyptic as 2009. Okay, awesome. Well, what was it that you were seeing in the market that led you to say, yeah, I want to start a sales technology platform? So for me, the Wingman journey started very much as my own personal experience. There were a few things that I was struggling with as I was building and leading a go-to-market function for my previous company, Pioneer. A couple of things that really stood out for me was that I was having a challenge in bringing the voice of customer back to product and marketing. And I think all of us struggle with that. It becomes a little bit more extreme when we are either geographically remote or in today's world, just distributed teams. And that was a big struggle. It seemed very inefficient and feedback that got carried back often also seemed very anecdotal. So I was literally like the product team had heard this directly from the customer and you know that would have been so much better. The second challenge that I was having at that time was that you know, I was onboarding new sales reps and there was a lot of difference in performance across some of them. And I think every sales leader identifies with that challenge. And what happens is that, you know, I was looking at their input metrics because literally that's the only thing the Salesforce reports would give me, right? You know, are they making the right number of calls week on week? Are they having the right number of meetings? But that wasn't giving me clues on how I could go back and help them. And again, it boiled down to saying, hey, can I jump on calls with you, but then that would change the dynamic of the call. All right. So it's a little bit of a Schrodinger's cat problem. So that's kind of the other reason why I was like, shit, I wish I had all of these recordings. I wish, you know, I didn't have to sit on those meetings and disrupt them in some way. And those were the two things that triggered me to building them. Okay. Well, talk through us a little bit how the product works. Does it replace a CRM or as the name would suggest, Wingman is something that kind of goes alongside. How does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So it's very much a wingman for a salesperson. What it does is it's by your side during every customer call that you're having. So it's listening to the call. If you're in a Zoom meeting like this, it's you know joining that meeting or recording that meeting, and then it's analyzing that meeting. It's not just doing the transcription. It is also identifying, hey, what did you speak about? How much did you speak? What may be also be interpreted through tone, et cetera. So it's doing all of that analysis, but also in real time, as it's doing the analysis, it can give you some quick suggestions. 
So, you know, if you get stuck on a question around, hey, this new competitor just launched this feature, Mm -hmm. your sales enablement team can actually populate battle cards into the system. And those things show up on your screen and prompt you along. Yeah, so it's it's kind of an end-to-end platform for both analyzing your calls and giving you feedback on those. You know, the way I think about it is if you make a mistake during a customer interaction, often you can't go back and correct it, right? So you can't unlose a deal. So you might as well not just rely on post-facto coaching, but do as much as you can in the moment. Yeah, especially now, everybody wants to make the most of out of every interaction. And to your point, right, you don't want to do something because the wrong thing that was said what have you guys seen in terms of, you know, clients coming onto the platform and increase in efficiency or number of deals closed? I mean, what have been some of the success metrics that they've seen? So there are three things that people look at when they adopt Fingman. The first thing is definitely improving win rates. In fact, one of our early customers, they told us their win rates actually doubled in the first three months. And we were, you know, shocked, like, how did that happen? I mean, of course, we were expecting some improvement, uh, but not something dramatic. And they realized that they had identified a very prevalent problem in their conversations. And that was the way that their sales team wasn't building trust with the customer. And that was leading to a lot of issues and a lot of questions that were coming up later on in the deals. And they went back and corrected that, you know, at the very intro that each salesperson would give about the company, they would then over-index for some of those trust building things, you know, how many customers do we have in how many countries, you know, how many projects have we done? So that was something that dramatically changed the way they were winning customers. Uh, So conversion rates is definitely one of them. I don't say that everybody gets 100% improvement, but typically we see around a 30% improvement in that. The second thing that people look at is just the ability to, you know, ramp your new reps faster. Because today what happens is you take three to six months to ramp a new rep and each rep maybe, you know, exists in a company for 18 months. So you're spending a lot of their productive period in the ramp phase. But having the ability to coach them, the ability to have visibility in their calls means that you can actually put them in front of customers much sooner than you otherwise would. Cutting down the RAM phase is the other thing that people look at in terms of how do they see ROI for this. And the third thing is a little bit more reactive, which is, can I quickly identify deals that might be at risk so that I can then go back and, you know, immediately try to fix them. So today, very often, you know, everybody's looking for leading indicators, but very often what they're relying on is, you know, their revenue numbers or maybe some pipeline numbers. But what they don't have access to is, hey, for this particular deal, the reason this might be at risk is because we don't have the decision maker involved and we have not yet discussed pricing and, you know, we are are putting this deal in a late stage. Those are the type of things that you can quickly identify and hopefully plug that revenue leak before it happens. So I got to believe those are like huge areas of importance for, you know, anybody leading a sales team. How are you guys selling yourselves? Like what are your target markets? And then how are you reaching out to them? What marketing or sales tactics, I guess, do you guys have in place to reach new clients? Absolutely. We've traditionally been focused on inbound as our channel for how people come in to discover us. Once that happens, you know, we of course have a sales team in place, but typically it's a quick sales cycle. We've tried to make the products such that people are able to quickly see value and experience the product. In terms of the stack, uh, right, we use a variety of products. The CRM itself for us today is HubSpot. And then, you know, we use things to make sure that people who are coming into the website are as quickly as possible able to experience the product. 
So we use things to help route the leads so that, you know, people don't have to wait for somebody to book a demo. They can immediately book a demo on the website. Uh, we've seen that as being super helpful with the conversion rates from, you know, MQLs to demos. And then through that cycle, we, of course, you know, use Wingman. We also use Clary, which is now Wingman's parent company in helping us understand our pipeline and our forecasting better. Let's go there a little bit. Talk to us about Clary, like what they're doing and then why these two products make so much sense together. Yeah, absolutely. So Clary is a revenue platform that started out with helping teams basically forecast better, right? Forecasting very often looks like a nightmare between multiple versions of spreadsheets that are floating around and, you know, Sunday night sales leaders are spending and just, you know, getting the latest version, making sure things are making sense, uh, getting ready for that Monday morning meeting. So Clary started out with trying to quell that three-headed hydra between BI tools, spreadsheets, and your CRM. Today, what it does is it's a complete revenue platform that helps sales teams understand their past, present, and future. And the way they look at it is, hey, you know, as a sales leader, you want to answer not just where I am today, but how does this compare with where I was the same week last quarter or the same week last year? And then you want to also be able to, of course, forecast where you will end this quarter based on everything else that's happening in the economy and the environment. So it does that. So there is a lot of data coming in from the CRM. There's a lot of data coming in from emails. And with Wingman and Clary coming together, they also now have access to all of the information coming from a sales conversations. So it's now being able to give you a complete package without just relying on data that uh, your sales reps might be entering into the CRM or might not be entering into the CRM. Sure. I think probably a lot of our listeners have either been through or have at least talked about partnering with or acquired by maybe another player. Can you give us some sense of your experience, what this was like, how you came together with them, and then kind of what it looks like now that you guys are putting the companies together? Yeah, absolutely. So I think as we went about that decision, and I would say it's never an easy decision, and it's never a decision irrespective of what the rest of the world looks like, right? So it was a combination of a few things. What we were seeing was that overall, we wanted to also be able to use all of the conversation data to eventually influence revenue outcomes for teams. And that's kind of where the goals really tended to align because slowly we were moving towards saying, hey, can we be giving more deal intelligence? Can we be giving more pipeline intelligence? And it seemed like, you know, this was a natural fit. There was a lot of work that we wanted to do that, you know, already existed. And of course, the excitement of being part of a team that already had such amazing customer logos, that meant that, you know, seeing your product in the hands of these great companies like Atlassian and Zoom, et cetera. So that was, you know, a big interest area for us. The second thing that we were seeing was that what was right for the customers, right? So increasingly, we were seeing customers also wanted to consolidate the number of tools that they were using. And, you know, sales tech is definitely one of the things where there are way too many things that are out there. And so we felt that, you know, either we needed to become a platform or we needed to partner closely with the platform. And so this seemed to make sense. I think what has worked great for us as we've come together, you know, it's been five months since we started working together is that... We've managed to identify and, you know, everybody's been really mindful about saying, hey, what are we good at and what are they good at? And make sure that we are mindful of keeping the good things rather than sometimes it can be the other way around where you say, hey, let's take in all the bad habits, right? Like, you know, a larger company has infrastructure, but, you know, there's also the slowness that comes with the size. 
So I think being mindful and being honest about those conversations has been really phenomenal. Honestly, I've been really impressed with how open and in some sense honest they've been about, you know, their own weaknesses and their ability to actually come out and say, hey, these are things that we would want to actually maybe even adopt and learn from you. I don't think a lot of parent companies go into acquisitions with that frame of mind. They believe that they are already so successful and they just want to replicate that success. Uh, But that's not always true. Obviously, there's the product fit there, but when you guys were looking at bringing the two together, was the, yeah, I guess the cultural fit as much just as important to you, you know, just in terms of making it work? It was definitely, definitely a big criteria for us. So when we embarked on this journey, we actually had like multiple options. And for us, being able to find a fit where we felt that, you know, both the product and the teams and the people will continue to grow because we had the, I would say, the luxury of choice. That was definitely something that we optimized for. And I think because I come from an investment banking background, I've been on mergers and acquisitions as an investment banker. I understand all of the things that can go wrong in these situations. So I think the culture of openness, the culture of being honest and transparent and the ability to actually still be so focused on speed of execution uh, right at that scale, those were things that really gelled well with well, let's talk a little bit about the product, the pricing. Notice on the website, there's a few different packages that you guys have, have come up with it. What about subscription and recurring and then these different plans that you guys have offered? Like, how did you develop that? It's certainly the product itself lends it, you know, towards ongoing use, right? That's kind of the point. It's not a one and done type situation, but uh, talk with us a little bit about these tiers and how you guys arrived at these pricing structures. Sure. So I think when we started out, you know, we, we looked at it as for us, there were two big options, right? One was doing a subscription, which was based on the number of licenses or number of users or doing a subscription that was based on usage. So in our case, that would be either number of calls recorded or number of minutes of meetings recorded. So that was one decision, right? Like what is the metric on which you peg your subscription? The reason why we chose the first one was we felt that that was also the metric with which we were trying to drive value. So the value wasn't coming from, hey, have you recorded thousands of minutes of meetings? But how many of your sales reps exist and you know how do you improve their performance? So we felt that that was the value driver and therefore that became the basis for us to do our pricing. Of course, from a product standpoint, it also lends itself really well because each user has their own profile. They need to include their voice fingerprint. So, you know, the ability for people to kind of share subscriptions across those units doesn't exist. The other pieces we thought about pricing was we wanted to keep it simple, uh, right? So initially when we started out, we just had one plan. We did not want, you know, and we've seen companies do this, right? They will have prices on multiple criteria, right? Like, hey, on your basic plan, you can get eight minutes of recordings free. And then, you know, if you have the ninth minute, then this happens. And like, so you have a combination of number of, you know, licenses or users and some usage metric. And we felt that that was too complex. And we wanted to make sure that our decision makers had visibility and predictability on how much they would get charged. So that was our second criteria. The third criteria was we wanted to be fair in our pricing. So we wanted to make sure that we gave our users some options based on what they were using. And that was coming from, we realized that there were different types of users we had, right? Like we had some very early stage startups and they needed a certain basic set of functionalities. We had larger teams who had more complex needs. And so we felt that aligning it to the type of customers and then using that to align our feature set 
made much more sense. You know, the other option there was to kind of have a basic feature set and then allow a la carte options for, you know, add-ons in terms of product features. But we felt that was too complex and we wanted to keep it simple. So yeah, I think those were the three criteria as we thought about pricing, but uh, pricing is constantly in evolution. You know, now that we are part of a larger team, a reason to rethink pricing and think about how does that work in a more platform orientation. Are clients still buying Clary and Wingman separately? Can you bundle those two things together now? Yes, you can. Yeah, you could buy both Clary and Wingman together and then there is like a bundled price for it. But of course, we don't have those prices in public. So we kind of have to still evolve and figure out what that looks like. Yeah. When you guys are adding in new features, developing the product, talk about how you guys do that, how you decide what features to prioritize and then which ones are you adding in and just giving your users more value and maybe a current plan and a current price point versus the type of things that you could potentially charge more for? What goes into that thought process? Again, it's it's a fairly complex decision, right? I think the way we think about features is in three buckets, right? One is features that are helping improve the experience for current customers. Second is features that are adding a new functionality to the product. And then third is features that are either from a differentiation standpoint or from a moving the envelope kind of standpoint. What we realize is that for features, which I would say are kind of just improving the experience, right? So that could be like a more granular ability to set your permissions, things of that nature. You know, those by default go into existing plans and ideally they go into all of the plans as long as they're not unnecessarily complicating the lives of, you know, the basic tier. The the second set of features, right, we kind of decide whether they're relevant to everyone or not. Again, today we don't want to increase the number of pricing plans to be a hybrid of like three times four where you have like three plans and then you have like four options within each plan or something. So we are still trying to keep that simplicity. Therefore, we are just kind of slotting each in and saying, hey, these are things that, you know, go into plan A and B, but not into plan C or something like that. And then we have plans, which we honestly feel are like more like power plans uh, or power features that not everybody needs. And those are things that we experiment with in terms of a la carte pricing. You know, not everybody needs access to APIs. Giving access to APIs also has, you know, other overheads in terms of support and technical, you know, support. Those are things that we might keep as a la carte because that's not something that we by default expect people to use. I assume this being a SaaS product, what geographies, what languages do you guys support? Are you looking at global or trying to stick US-based or what were you guys operating? Yeah, so we definitely, you know, sell across geographies. US is definitely the largest market, but we have lots of customers in Europe, in ENZ, in India. The pricing for us is actually standard across the geographies. We don't do you know pricing for each geography. Did I answer both your questions? Yeah, yeah, you did. Uh, My follow-up to that was going to be kind of dovetail into payments here, one of my favorite topics. And, you know, you've got some experience there as well. What challenges have you guys run into as you've, you know, looked to offer the product to come into these new markets? Uh, Offering different payment methods uh, can get very complicated. And what have you guys used or who have you partnered with to make that as simple as possible? You know, I think uh, that's also something that we realize different size of customers look at it differently. For us, because we've, you know, largely served SMB customers, uh, our priority from a payments perspective has been to keep it easy and to keep it something that doesn't require like, you know, three touch points and uh, ideally something that can be kind of self-pay and recurring payments can happen automatically. Being able to support credit card-based payments was 
high on our list. I know a lot of enterprise software even today doesn't necessarily support that because if you're selling to large companies, you can just do ACH transfers apparently. <laughs> but for us, that was an important criteria. And we felt Stripe was a partner that gave us a lot of that, maybe higher cost than some of the alternatives, but it gave us a lot of the flexibility. I feel as we go deeper into different geographies, we might look to specialized payment solutions, which might work better in certain geographies. But yeah, right now we use Stripe in combination with ChargePay, which is a subscription management platform. Yeah, I mean, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. I think that's actually a good lesson when you're, especially when you're starting up and targeting small businesses, this isn't the core part of your product, right? You just need payments to work and maybe paying a few more basis points for ease of integration and being able to quickly get it working on the platform far outweighs the, yeah, you might be able to save some money with a different processor, but that doesn't outweigh the fact that it's quick and easy, right? Yeah, you don't want collections to become an issue because, you know, your payments failed. That very quickly outweighs any basis point savings that you might have, especially as an early stage where you don't have a dedicated like team or person looking at collections. What's next for you guys? I mean, obviously, integrating these companies together, I'm sure is a big part of your day these days, but any other big changes to the platform or product that you can talk about? Yeah, so I think, you know, a few things. One, of course, everybody today, the imaginations have been captured by the ability of what AI can deliver for us. And I think when we set out on this journey, we knew that AI would catch up. It was, you know, what AI looked four years back and what it looks today and what it can do is already very different. I think broadly the vision, and you asked me earlier, right? Like, do you replace the CRM or do you sit alongside it? I think the biggest thing, the transition that needs to happen is, our ability to take unstructured data like conversations, emails, and put structure around it. And I think AI is soon becoming something that can do that, right? And deliver that much more reliably. Definitely one thing that I would want to see as a longer term vision is to not have, you know, salespeople enter any type of data into the CRM. And ideally, all of that can automatically get structured from conversations. In the short term, I think we are seeing lots of interesting things coming. There is a lot of new things in terms of how you help people take notes and make sense of what happened in the conversation while they are still present in the conversation. So we are working towards the ability to bookmark and take notes during the calls much more effectively. We are also looking at various types of conversations, which are not just customer conversations, but still related to sales those can also be very revealing, right? Like as a VP of uh, sales for a large organization, I don't just care about every customer interaction, but I also care about maybe the coaching conversations between my frontline managers and my sales reps. Is that happening often enough? What kind of topics are they you know, looking at? So yeah, also looking at conversations much more holistically, not just external conversations. So some of those changes are coming you know, within the next six months because of what it can do, is there applicability outside of sales into say customer support or technical support or kind of some of those things that are tangential to sales? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, a lot of our customers already use Wingman for customer success, again, in that sales interaction. Overall, in the customer lifecycle, right, there are multiple interaction points between the company and the customer. And ideally, we want to capture more and more of them. The nature of some of these interactions today is moving in different directions. So for example, you know, support is moving slightly more towards chat, more towards automation. So some of those things are relevant. Some of those things are too specialized that we might not get into it. 
But yes, I think there is a lot of scope with capturing more types of interactions, maybe SMSs that happen between customers and salespeople, right? Like text messaging is an important part of what happens, or maybe looking at like WhatsApp messages or other types of uh, communication as well. Well, Trudy, really enjoyed the conversation today and really appreciate all of the insights that you've shared. If any of the listeners want to learn more about Wingman or maybe have some questions about what we talked about today, where should they go? You know, you can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Shruti Kapoor. You can also look at our company page, www.trywingman.com. On LinkedIn, we share a bunch of, you know, interesting content, interesting stats from analyzing millions of minutes of sales calls and also some fun memes. So, you know, go check out the LinkedIn page and you'll probably come across interesting content every week. Will do. Well, thanks so much, Rudy. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks, Nick. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. 